What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to Part-Time Genius, a production of iHeartRadio. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? Did you realize that the Queen of England is actually a Game of Thrones fan? I did not know that. (laughs) So uh, apparently she's huge into Game of Thrones, and I I just love this idea that she's waiting every Sunday night, like, up late, just sitting in front of her HBO Go account, (laughs) like, waiting for the series (laughs) to come on. But, uh, you know, the, the show shoots in Europe, so she decided to visit the set. And when she was there, she actually refused to sit on the Iron Throne. Really? So, and why was that? Well, according to the Daily Beast, even though she was overjoyed to see the throne and was kind of fanning out about it in this way, only a demure queen could, she's technically not allowed to sit on a foreign throne. And that's just one of the weird bits and rules that kind of govern her life. But that's actually what we wanted to explore today. Like, what does a queen carry in her purse? How does she choose to talk to who she talks to at royal dinners? And How on earth did she get a monopoly on the country's swan population? Because technically, every swan in England belongs to her. Let's (laughs) dig in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikader. And on the other side of the soundproof glass, demonstrating the royal way to take your afternoon tea. This is not something I realized he understood, but that's our friend and producer, Tristan (laughs) McNeil. Now, Tristan's been doing a lot of reading up on British etiquette all week, just in preparation for this episode. Also changing his spelling to put U's and words where they don't belong, but... (laughs) I've got to say, this is probably the most refined I have ever seen this guy act. 
Yeah, I'd say what really sells it is the way he's been drinking the tea. Like, (laughs) if you just see how he keeps the cup at waist level and then always lifts it to his mouth to take a sip instead of, like, bending his head, that's actually pure British tradition. It's impressive, yeah. And the way he's holding the cup, too, is totally by the book. Like, he's keeping his pinky firmly tucked in at all times, and he's only using one hand to hold the cup. Hmm. Well, as the etiquette experts say, you can hug a mug, but you never hug a teacup. I, I think they say that. <laughs> they always say that. Tristan is definitely living by those rules, but the demands of a proper high tea are actually a good example of why being a royal is not as easy as it may look from the outside. I mean, there are all kinds of customs and protocol that royalty is expected to live by every single day. And these include things, you know, that we think of as super mundane. So we thought it'd be fun to take a closer look at some of the longstanding rules and the traditions that govern the royal family's fashion and dining and travel. We'll also take a look into some of the more unusual perks that the queen enjoys. But anyway, there's a lot to cover. So Mango, where do you want to go first? So I do want to get to some of those unexpected reasons for why it's good to be the queen. But before we get into those, I want to quickly mention one reason why Elizabeth II might just deserve all those fancy perks she gets. And it's from this easy-to-miss fact that she isn't just the Queen of England. She's actually the monarch of 16 different countries. Not just the UK, but uh, I'm not going to run through them, but all the Commonwealth countries, so like Australia, Canada, Jamaica, they all still recognize Elizabeth as their queen, despite the fact that they're kind of these otherwise sovereign states. It's kind of a confusing setup. But it's a lingering effect of England's time as a colonial empire and when it had all these nations under them. It's pretty wild to think about, but but you're right. I mean, reigning over that many countries cannot be easy. So I feel like it's only fair that the queen should enjoy certain privileges, like, you know, say, being able to eat all the swans and dolphins that she wants, which actually is a real thing. <laughs> so do you want to explain why? <laughs> Well, because there are laws that grant the queen legal ownership over all the dolphins and swans in England, which I think this just may be my favorite (laughs) rule of all. But in the case of the dolphins, the law actually entitles the queen to any dolphin that comes within three miles of the country's shore. So all dolphins out there, be careful. And actually, the law doesn't restrict her to just dolphins, but to all species of what it calls fishes royal, which is usually (laughs) taken to mean marine mammals, so dolphins plus whales and porpoises. I mean, that's a power we didn't realize she had. So I I think what you're saying is like, if a whale gets beached on the shore or someone catches a dolphin, Queen Elizabeth actually has the right to cart the thing away for sushi, right? Yeah, it's all hers. I mean, she, she, (laughs) she could do that. But the law's actually been in effect since the 1300s, which is when Edward II first insisted on this privilege. You know, whether the current queen ever invokes the rule or not is a totally different story. My guess is she doesn't, but... Really, if you go strictly by the letter of the law, Queen Elizabeth might not be entitled to that beached whale because the law actually states that a king is due the entirety of a whale if he so demands it because that's his royal privilege. But apparently if a queen calls dibs on a whale, it's sufficient to send her just the tail. (laughs) Just the whale tail. That's crazy. Just whale tail. (laughs) You know what's funny is originally I I was rooting for the whale in this scenario, but now I'm kind of hoping that Elizabeth eats the whole whale just to break through that glass ceiling. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So, what about these swans, though? Well, the swan rule is a totally separate law, and this is one that predates the royal fish decree by about 100 years or so. So, back then, swan meat was actually considered a delicacy, and the monarch didn't want it wasted on, like, unrefined palates of commoners. So, in a completely sensible move, 
all swans in the region were declared legal property of the crown. So within a few hundred years, the law was relaxed a little bit so that landowners could, you know, pay for this privilege of owning and eating the queen's birds. But otherwise, all wild swans were off limits to the public, and poaching one carried a pretty hefty fine, actually. But I'm guessing that's all kind of relaxed over time, right? Actually, not not really. The fine is, is still in force today. Really? <laughs> I mean, no, nobody really eats them, but the queen technically still owns all of them. And huh. in fact, Queen Elizabeth still attends a ceremony each summer called Swan Upping. And this is basically an annual census where she's given an accurate count of just how many swans <laughs> are in her flock, which is just, I, I love that this is the kind of thing she gets to spend it time on. It feels so British. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. I also love like how the queen has all these old bizarre rights that she will probably never exercise, but still technically could if she ever felt like it. For instance, I was reading about this agreement from hundreds of years ago where one Scottish family was allowed to purchase land from the crown. And the only condition of the sale was that if it was so requested, the family would have to provide the reigning sovereign with a snowball in the middle of the summer. <laughs> and so how were they expected to get a snowball in the summer? I guess that's what I'm curious about. Well, it wouldn't have been easy, but the land they bought did include a mountain that had this uh, snowy peak year-round. So if a monarch ever sent for a snowball, someone from the family would actually have to scale the mountain and bring one down for them. Which I'm assuming they've never actually had to do, right? So that's what I thought too, but it actually has happened once. And this was back in 1746. Apparently the Duke of Cumberland stopped by the family's property while traveling and he was acting on the king's authority. So he ordered that some snow be brought down from the mountain so that he could use it to chill his afternoon wine. <laughs> but uh, I love the idea that the family who lives there just like wakes up every morning super anxious that Queen Elizabeth might give them a call and, you know, just request a snowball. It'd be <laughs> such a hassle. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing if that's the case, you could just keep a stash of emergency snowballs in your freezer, like if she just happens to show up and ask yeah. for them. But all right, well, now that we've covered some of the weird historical privileges that the queen enjoys, let's also talk about a few of her more practical perks, like the one she actually puts to use in daily life. Now, the first one is something I definitely like to have, and that's the freedom to leave your keys and cash at home wherever you go and whenever you go out, because obviously the queen never has to worry about picking up a check or getting locked out of Buckingham Palace, but there is one day a week when the queen does carry cash. Oh, yeah, when's that? That is on Sunday, and it's only for oh. a short while, and this is according to historian and royal biographer Sally Vidal-Smith. The queen keeps a single five- or ten-pound note on hand, and that's to put in the collection basket at church. I love the idea of her just, like, pulling out this super crinkled, wadded-up bill that she's been, like, <laughs> clutching in her sweaty royal hands all day. <laughs> that's kind of a weird image, but I, actually, I'm not kidding about this. I mean, the bills themselves are supposedly ironed crisp by her butler and then carefully folded so that only <laughs> the queen's face is showing when she puts it in there. That feels so Downton Abbey or Jesus yeah. Worcester where, like, the butlers and uh, servants, like, they iron the newspapers every morning and they iron the sheets before they get put on the beds. But, uh, you know, I I can't imagine like waking up to a warm, crisp newspaper every day. And uh, mm -hmm. it's so weird that the money is folded to have her face out. Well, I mean, what's interesting to me is that she always seems to have her handbag with her, even though she never has keys or a wallet or anything like that to carry around. Yeah, I, I was curious about that, too. And uh, apparently there's all sorts of stuff in there. I, I read this Telegraph article that got the dirt from her friends and also these other eyewitnesses on what she's carrying. And it turns out 
the queen is packing all sorts of useful items, as well as a few things that are just in there for fun. So, for instance, she reportedly carries an assortment of good luck charms from her children, and these include miniature dogs, horses, and saddles. She's also got a few family photos and some uh, crossword puzzles that her staff snips out from a newspaper. On the practical side, there's uh, normal stuff like breath mints, reading glasses, lipstick, tissues. But my favorite item is this little portable hook that she uses to hang her purse from. So <laughs> you've got to listen to this account. It's from this anonymous dinner guest who once ate with the queen. So this is what they said. Quote, I watched the queen open her handbag and remove a white suction cup and discreetly spit into it. The queen then attached the cup to the underside of the table. The cup had a hook on it, and she attached her handbag to it. <laughs> Can you imagine how weird that would be to see, like, a queen delicately spit into a suction cup? I mean, it'd be so much better if it wasn't delicate. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I guess it kind of makes sense that the queen would go to, like, all the trouble to keep her purse off the floor. But also, like, why not just hand it to your security or, yeah. like, your, uh, your person in waiting or whatever? Like, that's what they're there for. and. It almost feels like she's trying so hard to be a woman of the people, but obviously people don't spit into suction cups and hang their stuff impromptu like that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but what's funny is the bag has like, kind of become this royal icon in its own right, and that's partly because the queen has more or less stuck with the same one since the 1980s. I mean, she's actually gone through different bags over the years, but since 1981, they've all been made special for her by this company called Launer. And over that period, the queen is said to have owned between 200 and 300 of their handbags. But in recent years, the model she's mostly been using is called the Traviata because it's big enough to hold all the stuff she carries with her, but also small enough not to get in the way when she's shaking hands with her subjects. But there's actually another more important reason she carries around the purse. And what is that? According to royal biographers, the purse is also this way for the queen to send these signals to her staff super discreetly. So if the queen puts her handbag on the table during a meal, that means she wants to end the event in the next five minutes. If she places it on the floor instead of the hook, that signals she's stuck in a boring conversation and she kind of needs someone to come in and rescue her. <laughs> wow, that's pretty clever, actually. But honestly, I don't know how discreet it is for the queen to plop her purse on the <laughs> dinner table. Like... That seems like a pretty universal way of saying, like, we're, we're just about done here. But right. anyway, that is interesting to know. But since you got us on the subject of purses, what do you say we stick to that track and, and talk a little bit about the do's and don'ts of royal fashion? Sure, but first let's take a quick break. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes 
and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the unexpected rules and traditions that influence the lives of British royals. All right, well, before we dive into the do's and don'ts, the Queen does have a couple fashion-related perks, and I think we should talk about those just for a minute. So, for starters, she never has to break in her own shoes. Instead, Queen Elizabeth has an attendant whose sole job is to walk around in her new shoes until they've lost their stiffness. Now, another fashion perk that the Queen enjoys is that she gets to wear super loud colors Anytime she wants. And if you've ever seen the queen, you know that she pretty much does this all the time. So I'm curious, like, why is that? Is it just personal taste or is there some sort of like unwritten rule that says the queen can never wear dark or neutral colors? Like, I've been really curious about this. You know, I think in part she just does prefer the bright clothing, but according to Harper's Bazaar, the colors are also part of royal protocol, namely as a way to make sure the queen always stands out in a crowd. I guess that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. that way both her security detail and her adoring subjects can keep their eyes on there whenever they want. And I I mean, I I guess that makes a certain type of sense. It it is funny, though, like, I've read that the exact opposite rules apply when it comes to fingernail polish. Like, apparently women in the royal family are supposed to stick to these subdued and kind of natural shades, like clear or pale pink. And for all those loud outfits, the queen seems to have no problem abiding by the rule. I mean, you know, People Magazine reported that the queen had been using the same color nail polish since 1989. Hmm. And because I know you're as curious as I was... Her brand of choice is a shade called Ballet Slippers. Ah, that's good to know. Finally, I can have nails just like the queen. (laughs) But if you want to complete the look, you're actually going to have to up your uh, hat game. uh, (laughs) Because another fashion tradition the queen has upheld is the requirement for women to wear hats to all official events. And apparently in England, it was considered improper for a woman of high status to keep her head uncovered in public. But the rule was made official back in the 1950s And uh, at the time, hats were beginning to fall out of fashion with women, and the monarchy kind of hoped to put a stop to that modernization by making these headgear a requirement for the the royals, I guess. But over the decades, that rule has become a lot more lax. Still, Queen Elizabeth insists that the family adhere to it, at least for the time being. 
All right, well, here's another one that just kind of makes me laugh, but this also deals with royal head covering. So once the clock strikes 6 p.m., it's tiara o'clock. Did you know this, Mango? (laughs) I always say that. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, apparently that's the magic hour when you ditch your headgear and you don your tiara, or at least that's the case for any married women that are in the royal family. And that's because tiaras are kind of like wedding rings. So they're meant to show that the woman has moved on from one family into another. I, I like this idea that if you're like a bachelor just cruising the royal dive bar, mm-hmm. that's how you know like to look elsewhere. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, but what if you're an unmarried royal woman? Like, do, do you just keep your hat on the whole time? Like, like how's that work? No, at six, an unmarried woman can just take off her hat. They don't have to don a tiara and that you know anything like that. But it does seem a little unfair and outdated. But but those are the rules. Well, speaking of outdated fashion traditions, have you ever noticed that uh, young British princes never wear pants? No, no I, can, <laughs> I can honestly say I have not noticed that. But you're saying there's some kind of rule that the royal kids have to go pantless or something? Well, they have to wear short pants. And, uh. Uh, and maybe I'm, I'm more attuned to this because in India, especially when I was a kid, like, unless you're playing sports, men don't really wear shorts. I mean, kids wear it as a uniform to school, but once you yeah. reach, reach like a certain age, you just don't wear them. And I, I remember one of my cousins kind of pulling me aside and telling me I looked like a tourist because I was wearing <laughs> shorts when I was 10 or something. Nice. But, uh, I, I guess uh, England has a little of this too. And, and there's this old tradition in England called breaching, which is when a boy grows out of the gowns he's worn as an infant and begins to wear shorts or breeches instead. And, uh, you know, it isn't until the age of eight or so that the boy is officially allowed to wear long pants. It's a, it's a status thing, and it, it, it's apparently considered middle class to let your son wear pants before he turns eight, strangely. And, uh, of course, the royal family avoids anything that sort of puts them in the middle class. But right, that means right. Prince George and, and Prince Louis will be spending the next few years exclusively in shorts. Wow, and England's not exactly known for its warm weather either, but although I still think I would take the shorts over having to wear a hat all day, so I guess it's not that bad. Yeah, and maybe there's some kind of workaround, like they can just wear really long socks or something. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. All right, well, since you bring up these workarounds, here's a clever trick that the queen uses to prevent any wardrobe malfunctions. She has these small one-ounce weights sewn into the hemline of her skirts and dresses. And that way, when she's out and about, there's no risk of a sudden breeze, you know, kind of showing too much skin. Oh, that's fascinating. I I hadn't heard that before. But I actually remember a similar trick that Princess Diana used to rely on. So anytime she was stepping out of a car, she would hold her clutch bag just tight against her chest so that the paparazzi couldn't snap any compromising photos of her. And apparently she had these clutches specifically designed with that purpose in mind. And she actually referred to them as her cleavage bags because she kind of had a good sense of humor about it. Yeah, I mean, she was definitely the people's princess for a reason, and it did seem to have a good sense of humor. But now that we've talked about what it means to dress like a royal, I do feel like we should spend some time on what it's like to travel and eat like one as well. But before we get to that, let's take one more quick break. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. 
You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Okay, well, so you mentioned earlier that the queen primarily dresses in bright tones during her outings, but did you know there's a different rule in play when the royal family is traveling abroad? So this is by order of the queen. Every family member has to pack an all-black outfit whenever they travel, but it actually has a really practical reason. It's in case there's a sudden death while they're away. So like if they have to attend a funeral or something? Yeah, I mean, that, that would be one example, but it's really more for the return trip back to England. It would actually be deemed inappropriate if a royal were seen getting off the plane in bright colors right after the loss of a family member. So the rule's kind of this way to make sure that the appropriate mourning attire is always on hand. But, uh, you know, while it sounds kind of like a specific circumstance to be wary of, it, it actually comes from experience for the queen. She ran into this exact scenario in 1952 when her father passed away. At the time, the queen had been traveling to Kenya with Prince Philip. And that's when the news reached her. And unfortunately, she hadn't packed a black dress for her trip. So when she returned to England, she actually had to stay with the plane on the tarmac until a dress could be brought to her. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I could see why she would want to prevent that from ever happening to her or anybody else in her family. And honestly, it's one of those reminders that these big trips that we see royals taking, they aren't always something to be jealous of. I mean, not that they're that terrible or that difficult, but most of them are a little bit more like business trips than they are these fun vacations that we might imagine. So for example, I read this article from a reporter who's accompanied the royal family on some like 20 tours or so. It was it was Gordon Rayner. And he's, he says that every aspect of the trips are decided in advance and choreographed down to the minute. So this is how he put it in one of his stories. Touring the world, meeting heads of state, and being shown cultural treasures sounds like a wonderful life. Yet I have no envy for the royal family. 
Their visits to world-famous sites rarely last more than 40 minutes, and chances are they will never return to see them. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like all formalities and not like a lot of time to have fun, but it's such a strict and grueling schedule. And also they have to look out for a bunch of things that most of us don't have to worry about when traveling. And it isn't just like carrying an extra pair of black clothes. So I, I read that Prince Charles and Camilla sometimes bring their own alcohol with them so that they can make sure nobody's poisoned their drinks. Like that's still a concern yeah. for them. Yeah. And uh, apparently one of their bodyguards is always ready with a bag containing the goods for an emergency gin and tonic or, or <laughs> sometimes a, a really good red wine. And this is even weirder. So Prince Charles and the Queen also have to bring along a supply of their own blood wherever they travel. And this is just in case there's a shortage wherever that happens to be. I mean, can you imagine carrying extra bags of blood everywhere you go? It feels like <laughs> such a hassle. Wow. Well, there is a little more room in their bag because one thing the queen doesn't have to worry about traveling with is a passport. She doesn't need it whenever she travels to other countries. That's really funny. Like, I, I guess it's because I get my shoes taken away from every inspection at the airport when every time <laughs> I travel. Like, I, I guess I always just assume that the same customs rules apply to everyone. But, uh... Didn't Prince George actually have to get a baby passport when, when he flew some years back? I, I feel like I read that in, in newspapers or something. Well, the rest of the royal family actually does have to carry passports and adhere to the immigration rules, but the queen is exempt on a technicality, basically. You know, since British passports are issued in the name of Her Majesty, she can't exactly issue one to herself and therefore doesn't need one traveling. So... Anyway, that said, the queen does still have to go through an identity check whenever she flies in or out of Britain. And each time she has to meet with immigration officials and give her full name, age, address, nationality, gender, and of course, place of birth. I mean, that sounds horrible. It sounds worse than having to show your passport. But, you know, <laughs> as many precautions and hoops as there are to jump through when it comes to traveling, there are an equal number when it goes to royal dining as well. For example, do you know that uh, shellfish is actually banned from the royal dinner table? I like the fact that porpoises are fine to eat, but for some reason, <laughs> shrimp scampi is forbidden. So I, I'm curious, though, like, what is the logic there? Is it an allergy thing? or They what? just prefer dolphin scampi. I, I, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> no, it's because eating shellfish is, is more likely to result in food poisoning than other kinds of foods, and, and obviously allergies, too. So I, I guess it's just considered too risky to serve to them. All right. So, I mean, we know what they are allowed to eat and what they're not allowed to eat. But I'm curious, like, what do they like to eat? Like, what's an ideal meal for Queen Elizabeth? So, uh, as you might expect, what to eat is completely up to her because she is the queen. And she actually reviews this big red leather-bound menu book, like, twice a week. And uh, whichever suggested items she marks are exactly what's served to her in the next couple of days. But uh, apparently one of her chefs has said that she only really eats to live. And she actually has much simpler taste than you'd imagine. So while there are a few fancy foods that she likes, she supposedly abstains mostly for financial reasons. And I, you wouldn't think of the queen as cheap, but apparently she is. So huh. listen to this quote from her personal chef, Darren McGrady. The queen loves scrambled eggs with smoked salmon and grating of truffle. But she was too frugal to ever order fresh truffles and only really enjoyed them at Christmas when the truffles were sent as a gift. So instead, her typical breakfast is just Special K with fresh fruit. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. And why isn't Special K advertising this? Like, I feel like the cereal sales would skyrocket from this. But yeah. it, it also feels like kind of a waste. Like, why isn't she eating wild boar bacon and like this poached emu egg like every <laughs> single day? And are, are there any ritzy foods that she does eat? 
So not that I can tell, but probably the fanciest thing about her meals is the care that goes into preparing the simple stuff she does like to eat. So, for example, one staff member who worked in the palace kitchen in the 90s recalled this time when he had to learn the proper way to prepare the queen's tuna sandwiches. And the level of detail is kind of surprising. So here's what he said. A chef once told me off for serving the sandwiches with crust. He then showed me how to make the perfect tuna sandwich, cutting the loaf lengthwise, buttering both sides, adding the tuna mayonnaise mixture and thinly sliced cucumbers with a crack of pepper. He then folded over the two lengths, removed the crust, and cut it into eight identical triangles. The palace (laughs) kitchen was all about that detail. I mean, that doesn't seem decadent so much. It's just kind of weird. I mean, who cuts their sandwiches into eight equal the triangles? The Queen of England. <laughs> I guess I, I guess that's fair. Still, despite the fact that the Queen prefers simple foods, that doesn't mean that the royal dinners are laid back at all. In fact, every aspect of a royal meal is just as carefully scrutinized and orchestrated as every bit of that travel itinerary. So even the Queen's dinner conversations are tightly scheduled. I mean, is there somebody there just sitting there timing it or what? Not exactly, but almost. Like, the queen only speaks to the two people on either side of her, and she does it in sequence. So for the first course, she'll talk exclusively with the person on her right, and then for the second course, she'll switch and talk only to the person on her left. She'll just ignore the other side of the conversation. I mean, it feels like you'd get a crick in your neck. That would be my (laughs) biggest concern with this. But, you know, just seeing this, like every part of their lives just feels so regimented and beholden to tradition or these obscure laws or whatever. But it, it does sometimes make me feel almost bad for them. I mean, would it make you feel any better if I told you that the royal family's net worth is estimated to be north of $90 billion? $90 billion. I don't know if it makes me feel better, but... I guess I would agree to eat my sandwiches in tiny squares and maybe use a portable hook for my backpack if somebody gave me that amount of money. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think it's one of those grass is always greener situations. I mean, the money and privilege that royalty get is definitely preferable to all sorts of other lifestyles. But there's obviously something to be said for, you know, being able to dress how you want and eat how you want without fear of, I guess, upsetting these nonsensical traditions or Mm -hmm. even these public expectations. You know, uh, you and I may never own all the swans in England, but at least we have the freedom to paint our nails bright colors and dress our sons in pants. (laughs) (laughs) Very well put, Mango. All right, well, now that we have a better feel about our lot in life, I guess, what do you say we head into the fact off and cover off a few more offbeat rules of royalty? I'm for it. Okay, so I'm going to start with the quick one. The Queen of England's portrait has been on enough international banknotes that if you took the money from those Commonwealth countries, you can actually make a timeline of her aging. Oh, that's pretty awesome. So here's one about Princess Diana from Vanity Fair. Apparently, she and Freddie Mercury were friends, and they used to day drink together. Like, listen to this <laughs> detail. They actually used to watch Golden Girls reruns together while drinking champagne. No way. <laughs> but during one of these sessions, she told Mercury she wanted to go clubbing with him uh, that evening, I guess. And and there were these two other friends there with them, and they they were saying, you know, it's way too risky, but... Mercury was up for it, and he really just wanted his friend to have some fun. And Diana, I guess she she was obstinate about it, too. So they hashed <laughs> this scheme. And later that night, they dressed her up in this oversized army jacket and a hat and sunglasses. And they took her incognito into a gay bar in South London and just danced the night away. Oh, I love that story. All right, well, here's a question I've been wondering ever since I saw that dust-up about whether Meghan Markle was out walking her dog. 
And while the palace denied that the woman in the photo was, in fact, Megan, the official answer is that royals do walk their dogs. In fact, they also pick up after them, which is really surprising. <laughs> but according to a royal researcher who spoke with Bazaar, quote, when it comes to dealing with a dog's business, no royal has been too proud to handle things themselves. <laughs> of course, they're more likely to walk dogs in private rather than in public parks and most of their homes have great lawns or grass behind walls, but still, I've, I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, I had no idea. But speaking of dogs, the queen, of course, has corgis, which she's known to walk herself. But you have to be very, very careful around them. So uh, apparently the palace staff is under no circumstance allowed to reprimand the queen's corgis. And when they're served their meals, it's prepared by a palace chef and brought to them by a royal footman. Huh. All right, well, you might have seen this photo from a few years ago, but when LeBron James put his arm around Kate Middleton when they were posing after a game, there was this huge internet storm about it and, like, who's allowed to touch or, you know, when you can touch a royal. And, and after all these people started talking about LeBron James, the monarchy's website actually made it clear, quote, there are no obligatory codes of behavior when meeting the queen or a member of the royal family. They do have a list of traditional behaviors you can observe if you'd like, like men should do a neck bow and women should do a curtsy, but they aren't essential rules. And according to The Atlantic, the monarchy doesn't really take offense when they do get touched. And it's mostly just like the British tabloids who like to stir things up when, you know, especially Americans get the antiquated etiquette a little bit wrong. I know. I, I feel like these rules come up when people thought the kings were divinely appointed, but, right. you know, no one really thinks that's the case anymore. But here's something I loved. Uh, Menelfoss made a strange list of wedding gifts that have been given to royals. And while royals mostly direct people to send money to charities of their choosing, they still get some of the registry items that they haven't asked for, like uh, tandem bikes. Some royals got uh, how-to-stop-smoking courses. One got a, a, a giant jigsaw puzzle that was assembled by people who came to a mall and spent a month solving it. Gandhi apparently hand-wove a lace doily that he sent to Elizabeth, which is particularly funny because her grandmom thought it was a loincloth. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the traditional gift of three leopards, which I guess King Henry III got because two leopards weren't enough of a gesture. Right, of course not. Yeah, that's, that'd be ridiculous. But. <laughs> All right, well, here's something I had never heard, and it comes from Business Insider. So when Queen Elizabeth dies, the people of Britain are forbidden from laughing or merriment. And you'll see this on TV, too. For the 12 days between her death and her funeral... All BBC channels will be under strict orders not to air anything funny. And much like the way the royal family travels, the stations and anchors all have black suits and clothes on hand to change into if and when that news breaks. Oh, man, that's crazy. I mean, we're hoping it doesn't happen for a very long time, but what a bizarre fact. And, and that is a hard one to top. I, I think you ought to take the crown for this week. Oh, thanks so much. Well, there is no shortage of great stuff out there about the royal family over the years, so I'm sure we've left out some terrific facts. We always love hearing those from you guys. You can email us parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com or always hit us up on the socials anytime. But from Mango, Tristan, Gabe, and me, thanks so much for listening. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. 
because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.